I'm recording. Are you recording? I am finally recording. It's a goddamn miracle. Just kidding. <laughs> Hello. I feel like it's been a while. It really has not been a while at all. But I guess I've just been missing you. So hi, I'm M.M. I'm Katie. And we are Bicoastal Besties bonding over wine. And mysteries. And this is... The Wine Times Mysteries Podcast. Now with decent audio on my end. You've always had a decent to me. That's Aww. just me. Aww. Oh, thank you. Aww. Um, Come pop a bottle and let's talk about this because this episode, which is technically the Unsolved Mysteries Netflix reboot season two, episode one, um, hits on a lot of tropes that I really hate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have some opinions on them and also just even before we get started, Katie, look at my nails. I love your nails, listeners. They are a beautiful, warm fall brown that evokes... Um, evokes cinnamon, evokes, um, you know, fallen leaves, but not like gross decaying ones, but like the ones you want to jump into and just pumpkin flavored things. Yeah. Pumpkin flavored, nutmeg, you know, very nice. Do you want to guess what it's called? The name of this lovely, lovely nail polish. Bordeaux, which is why I thought it was appropriate. It is apropos. (laughs) (laughs) We are never getting away from murdering the French language ever. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, my last name is French originally, so I feel like I'm allowed. Samesies. Well, mine's a combo of um, French and Scottish. Oh, nice. That shows you how sophisticated I am. Yeah. <laughs> haunt, haunt, haunt. Oh, oh, oh. Um, so uh, this episode is called The Washington Insider Murder. So this is a local one for us. I mean, while I am a Seattleite now um, and de- devotee of the Pacific Northwest now, yeah. I did bragging. live... <laughs> I, as we know, if you've listened to our previous episodes, I am a proud Marylander, uh, born and raised and grew up there, and then lived in D.C. for 10 years. So this is a very local uh, thing for me as well, even though I'm no That's longer right. there. This happens at the end of 2010. I vaguely remember this coming up in the news, although I did not follow it very closely. A, because as we'll see, and as we know, because it's on Unsolved Mysteries, they don't figure it out. And... B, I was hugely pregnant and in my third trimester with my older daughter, so there was only so much attention I had to give to other things besides how huge I was and trying to fit through doorways and such. Nice, nice. Yeah, and uh, I don't remember this at all, and I don't have uh, growing a human as an excuse, (laughs) so uh, I think it was just not on my radar. A lot of the clips they show are on Fox News. Um, so I would have missed that. Um, thought that was interesting. This was before Fox News was quite so foxish. It hadn't. It hadn't fully fully gone murdocked f- itself. Yeah, yeah. It hadn't fully gone from Senator Palpatine to the Emperor. Mm-hmm. If you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Good one. Uh, and this <laughs> takes place in the news. The news stories coming out of Delaware, like we said, and I think interesting because Delaware just doesn't get a lot of national play, except now it's. The home President of our... elect Biden's uh, state, and yeah, yeah, that that shit finally happened. <laughs> I um, mean, I don't know if you can tell listeners because 
of course, you're all very loyal and have been listening to all of our episodes. We Mm pre-recorded quite a few as we were, like, kind of trying to learn the ropes. Um, So there wasn't, like, a joyous episode right (laughs) after the election. And you might have been like, what's going on here? Um, We pre-recorded all those. So this is the first one we're recording since uh the election and yeah. uh, do you hear how relaxed we are do you hear how i don't know there's there might be a little bit of another joie de vivre that's come back into sen- our lives a sense of hope one oh, might say what is i've forgotten what that felt like is that what that is it that might, what this feeling is it might be i have less stress oh. dreams now i didn't oh, realize that that was the cause. I just thought oh. it was sort of an existential dread. But... I don't know, girl. I had another stress dream last night about being in a very crowded shopping place without a mask on. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and uh-huh. oh, I'm those ready happen. for those to stop. Ready for those to stop. <laughs> so and our... oh, oh, one, one more thing about Delaware. One oh. more thing about Delaware. I need our listeners to know this episode is brought to you by vodka instead <laughs> of the usual being fueled and powered by my at wink wine because at the time that I was watching and taking these notes, my at wink wine hashtag not a sponsor yet was actually for some reason stuck in Delaware. <laughs> it was, it was thematic. It was, um... it, I mean, it was, it was thematic and dramatic because I was really missing it. So some of these notes may go off on a tangent because they, they weren't brought to you by my usual lovely wine. It was vodka. It was the vodka times mysteries. It podcast. was vodka <laughs> Mine was powered by uh, one of my favorite Wink Reds called Lost Poet. Uh, Sounds beautiful. It's lovely. Um, It is, I hate using the word drinkable because that makes it sound (laughs) like uh, I could barely stand it. But I just mean Mm. like it's, it just is so smooth and delicious that there's no like harsh finish. It's just, it was just so good. Cause you know, there's some, you know, I like a dry wine. But there's mm-hmm. some that are uh, like a punch in the mouth um, <laughs> in a good way. The best kind of punch. <laughs> so uh, our cold open is a landfill. So, you know, this is going nowhere good. Because, again, whenever they do anything, you have to remind yourself you're watching Unsolved Mysteries. It's not like they're showing a landfill because someone's going to find an engagement ring or something. Um, <sighs> and can so- we talk for just a minute about... We're at a landfill, which is already giving me hives to look at, but also the trash birds. There are so many trash birds. And were those seagulls? Yeah, we're in Delaware, so we are very close to the sea. When I think trash birds, seagulls are not the first thing that comes to mind, but apparently <laughs> that's what they are. Um. So yeah, literally my note says, cold open, landfill. Oh boy. Um <laughs> And then also, we're in Wilmington, Delaware, and then my notes proceed to make the obligatory I was raised in the 90s joke. Hi, I'm in Delaware. Um, (laughs) If there's any youth listening to us, that's from Wayne's World. Uh, Learn your history. Party (laughs) party on. Your comedy history. In uh, on December thirty first, two thousand ten, we you know in this cold open, we're meeting Michael Lawson, who was a Wilmington PD detective at the time. Uh, he gets a call that there's a body found in this landfill, and he's just like, "This is not something that has ever really happened for him." He's like, "We've had homicides, but this is a little strange." Uh, he brings up that the body is in a suit and uh, is wearing a West Point ring, and so he knows it's a person that's important. And I'm just sort of like. Yeah, and they showed a close-up of the ring, 
and he 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 says something along the lines of I've never I had never seen a ring like that before. So of course I went and Google image searched West Point rings and they just look like a regular class ring I mean, to me. I mean some of the some of the sparkle does look a little like maybe you could wonder twins or Shazam it, but um you know it's just a, it's just it's a class ring but it's it's nice. Right. And then there's an evidence photo of the back of the truck with the garbage on it and then it kind of zooms in and then it even gives you the circle so you can focus in on it i paused this many times and walked right up to our giant ass tv to look at this (laughs) and i still could not figure out what the hell it was i was supposed to be looking at that just looks like trash to me which is probably for the best but uh, there are reasons i've already said about five reasons so far why i'm apparently not a detective we find out that our victim is John Wheeler, they call him Jack. He's a former White House aide. Um, and they start showing clips of, because the news, because we have to remember here, this is probably our most recent um, episode thing that happened because sure. it's it's 2010. So, you know, we're not seeing the Nokia cell phones. We're not, you know, wow. people, the news swoops in. We have 24-hour news channels at this point. Connie the internet's Chung. a thing. Connie George Chung. Stephanopoulos. Oh, my God. Can I just Brian go on? Wilson. um brian wilson's the uh beach boys isn't he brian williams Uh, (laughs) (laughs) brian wilson came back from the beach boys just to talk about this case y'all because east coast girls are hip he really digs the styles they wear so I also need to. Inj- you guys were doing a lot of. T- <laughs> Everyone has noticed a pattern now, but I can never remember anyone's name. <laughs> I. Uh, it's clear that we did a chunk and then we took a little break because we're still getting back into it, and uh, we're doing a lot of tangents right now. But I gotta say, as a as a youth, I hated George Stephanopoulos, and do you want to know why? Why? Because my mom said he was handsome, and I thought he was going to take my mom away from my dad and split up our family. That's so sweet. Oh, I was my like, gosh. That homewrecker. George he's Stephanopoulos. A han- he's a handsome little man. I mean, but he, and- he's, no, he's no papa hospital, that's for sure. I mean, and my mom is really tiny, so, like, they'd be mm. cute. <laughs> but I just remember hating him. You didn't want to be Katie Stephanopoulos? In my older days i saw him i was like oh he's fine why do I hate him? Yeah, oh, he's, he's, he seems like a decent person he probably brings in his trash bins and like pays his taxes and stuff he's fine he's compost fine. He's totally fine. you know so we see all these clips of people saying you know white house aid found um and then we meet also uh, our our journalist companion for the episode steve steve steve, steve has these little round tiny glasses and i i was like are they they're not quite john lennon glasses i was trying to classify them i was having a very difficult time they remind me of cogsworth for beauty and the beast glasses (gasps) oh (laughs) he looks like cogsworth too okay we're just calling him cogsworth that's it okay cogsworth has two very memorable lines in this first introduction to the situation I'm, i'm gonna let you take the first one I just really love that he came for the murder and yes. stayed for the man. Second tattoo idea from this podcast. <laughs> you find a body, I'll take a poly. And number two is a came came for the murder, stayed for the man. Um, because, mm-hmm. and he explains that 
because Jack Wheeler had such an interesting life, like he had done so much. He so he just as he delved into it, he came to investigate this murder because he's this investigative journalist, and he just dives into it and he goes like an iceberg. He just finds so much underneath. So the much. Okay. The the other great line that he says that comes up several times in this episode, and every time it happens, I want to beat my head against the wall. So he says, "Body in a landfill is something that like sounds targeted. Like it's something the mob would do. Like someone." Who doesn't want this body to be found would do that. Really? <laughs> really? You're an you're an investigative journalist. This is the best you can come up with that someone has a body in a landfill because they don't want anyone to find it. What? What? What the other team needs to do right now is score a goal. That'll move the chains. Yeah, you know, let's put this, they... let's put this body in the landfill because that that'll move the chains. I don't know if that was like what? his point or if that was like a prompt from Netflix for perhaps people who aren't junkies the way we are. Okay, perhaps, and it does come up so many times from different people in this episode. I'm hoping this is something that Netflix fed to them, and they weren't each having a personal revelation <laughs> that maybe if you want to get rid of a body, you put it in landfill. We also meet Bayard Marin, who is Mm -hmm. uh, Jack's attorney. Uh, We don't see a lot of him, but he is also just kind of another, he gives some more backstory. Um, He says that, you know, Jack served in Vietnam and he came back from that and became an advocate for veterans. He's the executive director of the Vietnam War Memorial in D.C., which when the pandemic is over, if you have not seen this memorial, I highly encourage you if you visit mm-hmm. dc to put it on your list of memorials to go to it is uh super moving and beautiful it's, yeah it's and gorgeous horrifying yeah and especially on a nice day and you can just go and take your time and soak it all in outside not now wait for a vaccine then come yeah dear god not now um no, not now he's he's the kind of guy that when you go to his wikipedia page even if you felt good about yourself in your life up until that point, you realize that you've really not accomplished anything in your life because not only did this guy go to West Point, served in Vietnam, came back, went to Harvard Business School, went to Yale Law School, and then if you think about any any branch of the government that, I don't know, might be working on something interesting and important, he's, he's done that. He's been there. They also He did that job. Right? He, he did that. He did that. Uh, we also meet Jan Scruggs, who is the founder of the Vietnam Memorial, and he just is just like, this is your go-to guy. Like, they're all just giving all of these wonderful character Right, like, we couldn't have done this without him, basically. Like, he's mm-hmm. the reason that this got done. Right. We also meet Michael Wynn, who was Bush's uh, Secretary of the Air Force, uh, Bush II. Um, he hired Jack in 2004, and uh, he, you know, he was saying that Jack advocated for veterans, you know, was this staunch advocate, and that it was, you know... We also learn in all of this character background that he uh, had bipolar disorder. So Steve mentions that all of this is maybe even more impressive because he's dealing with this disorder that, you know, in the 80s and 90s when he's dealing with this, um, you know, he's he's accomplishing all of this and he's dealing with mental illness. Um, But this is also, with this individual, this is where we start to get into this, I'm going to call it male myth-making because I don't have a better word for it. Mm -hmm. And it comes up throughout this episode. And so let me say it again. This guy did incredible things. He lived an amazing life. He accomplished a ton. We, I think, in society tend to have this view 
of men, especially men who are high accomplishing, that they are, they're these singular geniuses. And Mm -hmm. I wrote down, I wrote this down. He thought outside the box before there was a box. That was the comment. And I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, that's a bit much. That's (laughs) a bit. Like I was with everybody until we got to that point. And then they're like, he, look, this comes up again and again. Mm Mm-hmm. So I will come back to the male myth-making again. But this is... And then I started thinking about Schrodinger's cat and the box. And I was mm. like, it was, it was a lot. But anyways, Maybe. I don't know. But we'll we'll come back and talk about this more. That does uh, bring up... There's a really good Vlogbrothers video that we'll link in the show notes um, about like how we teach individualistic storytelling where you know it's it's kind of the you know the theory of the great man and it doesn't Mm -hmm. talk about the groundswell of everything else that leads to Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff Uh, i'll link in the show notes it's awesome um yeah so we also meet in our big intro uh kathy who was married to jack for 13 years uh she's great and then we also meet meriwether his stepdaughter that's the coolest name in the I world screamed when i saw that number one i've always told so my girls each have an, a name that starts with the m just like me and i always told them that if they had a third sister i would have named her meriwether and just like but i wouldn't have spelled it okay so jack's stepdaughter meriwether spells it more like meriwether um clark and meriwether post marjorie Me- meriwether post of the washington post right I'm talking about Meriwether, the the third fairy godmother from yeah, Sleeping Beauty, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with M E R R Y. You you mean the best? The best, the the youngest, shortest little pudgy fairy godmother. I think that that's dress an awesome. Lo- that name. dress looked better in blue. Let's just put it out there. It's out there in the universe, and I accept it. Let me tell you, that's a bad, but it's a badass name. And I will tell you, spelling it the way she does with an M E R I, that says. Class and old school money, two things that I am not familiar with. <laughs> so. so Meriwether, uh, she does, she describes Jack as nice, cheesy, serious. You know, they're saying that he was, anything he was into, he was passionate about. Yes, he had this it, giant heart. He just cared so much. Right. And and Catherine, uh, sorry, Kathy is his second wife. Mm-hmm. And he had, he has two kids from his first marriage. He marries Kathy, she has two daughters. We only talked to one. We talked to Meriwether and Ants. <laughs> what, what is that? What is that? That's um, uh, some Minnesota, I think. Oh, Ant. Minnesota. My name is Meriwether and I come from Minnesota. Um, for, for Corn Seeks now, Babby. <laughs> That's a reference to Bobby's World, Ooh. an early 90s cartoon. Learn your history. Learn, learn your history. So they're married for 13 years. They show all these pictures of them, and they were clearly so happy and so in love. And all these pictures they show, they're both just laughing their asses off, and I love it. I love it mm-hmm. so much. It looked like they were they had a super cute relationship, which I think we learned a little bit more. Maybe it wasn't as super cute as the pictures make it look, but what else is new? Um, we also learn, uh, Kathy says that they lived in Harlem, up in New York, and they had a house in Newcastle that comes into play when we talk about our t- our timeline of Jack's last days. Kathy also says that she was brought in to kind of see the body and she was only shown uh, the body after it was found from the neck up. And she's like, that's good. He apparently had been, he had just so many severe injuries that it's nice that, that she didn't have to see the that's right. condition and, of the body. And Meriwether says, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense to me 
because a landfill seems like a place someone who didn't want him to be found would put him. <laughs> I had that in my notes. Dump suggests professional hit. My um. no- that's nicer than my note, which just said, well, no shit. Okay, so let's count that as time number two that somebody says, why would you put a body there? It's like you didn't want it to be found. Powered by vodka. Um, we Ooh. also, at this point, meet Joe Salerno, who's an investigator. Um, he describes uh, Jack as someone having a strong government network. Uh, and at this point, they sort of list all of Jack's roles. He was with the SEC for a while. He was part of the uh, Bush 1 transition team. He was part of the Bush 2 administration. Um, and Joe, again, I think this might be Netflix prompting him to kind of boil that all together of, because of his government roles, it may have made him a target for what he knew, access that he may have had, that kind of thing. Well, but at the time that he died, he was working for the MITRE Corporation, which is a defense contractor. And they're like, he is working on all the cutting edge technology stuff that we're dealing with today. Artificial intelligence, election hacking, cybersecurity. And I thought, okay, yes, this all sounds like stuff that defense contractors do because they're paid by the government to look at this stuff, hence they are the contractor for the Department of Defense. Um, However, just being in this region, we know people who work for MITRE. MITRE is not the CIA. You, (laughs) right? Because first of all, you can say, and you can put on your Wikipedia page, I work for MITRE, right? First rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. So he may have been working on all these things, but I sincerely doubt that he, at this point, with what he was currently working on, that he had access to a bunch of highly classified government secrets that are putting his life in danger. True. I mean, maybe, I mean, they do note that he had clearance. I I know lots of people who have clearance that. Well, you have to have a basic level of clearance to do most government defense contracting work. I had basic clearance for what I used to do when I was a government contractor. I was not a defense contractor, y'all. Girl, Um, you basic. I was super basic. Oh, here's a fun (laughs) tangent. um, Because one of the things that we do learn about is that his badge was stolen. Um, You can't see me. Air quotes. Stolen. (laughs) Maybe. Um, Did I ever tell you about the time my face broke the government record, like the facial recognition? Um, No, but I am loving this. Tell me. Okay. So listeners, part of my backstory, uh, one of the roles that I had kind of fresh out of college and then I went back to it for a while Um, I did graphic design work as a contractor for a government agency. Um, I'm not being shady on purpose. I'm just trying not to fully triangulate my entire life. Although, you know, you can look (laughs) me up pretty easily. Um, uh, yeah. And so again, I had, I had the most basic of clearance where it's basically they just make sure I haven't killed anybody and then I'm in. But every, if you work in a government building and I did work on site, you, you do need a badge and there's a whole process where you're getting your, your photo taken. And it's like a part of a facial recognition database and all these things. They take their badges quite seriously. Um, at this time, I was not the most professional of human beings. I was quite young and I'm also lazy as hell. So having bangs was not a choice. This comes into play. It was not a choice that I should have ever made because bangs require maintenance. Um, so I go in on my first day on site to the security office and they have to do all the pictures that put me into the system and everything. You have to stay quite still, blah, blah, blah. Um, and my bangs were so long. They partially obscured part of the eye area that they needed to put you into the database. (laughs) 
So when I went in, there was no line. By the time I was done, because it couldn't create something, for, like it could not create the right model of my face to create a thing, and it like crashed the computer and they had to restart the whole thing. Um, there was a line of like 10 people. I was so embarrassed. Okay. You should not have been embarrassed, though. You know why? It sounds like this system was made by a bunch of white men who are used to white dudes with buzz cuts trying to do facial recognition. People have hair. They need to take into account different hairstyles with facial recognition. They didn't. That's why it crashed. That's not on you. That's on them. But really. Blame the it, patriarchy. <laughs> my face broke the computer. When I came back for like up to where my actual office was going to be and everything like that, they were like, that took a while. I was like, I don't want to talk about it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they have to take into account people with bangs that don't trim them. <laughs> but just think about it. Think about it. They were clearly not putting the right variables into the equation when they're trying to come up with this. I mean, if bangs are going to trip it up, that's the was, least of their worries. <laughs> this was quite some time ago, so I'm 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 confident they have updated you, their system I'm not. since. I'm not. I'm not. Um. <laughs> okay. So, Back from sorry. the patriarchy. Yes. Whew. Um, okay. so he was working on all of this stuff and they do bring up that it is, um, relevant to today with election hacking. And he was very specifically working, um, mostly on cybersecurity. Um, but you know, I've watched enough heist movies to know that maybe he had enough clearance and access that like, maybe he was like a doorway in, you know, I don't know. So we also find out from Lawson, who is our, uh, our detective from the cold open that they were this was the first time they've ever had to do a evidence search or whatever <sighs> like they're because they don't really have a crime scene so that they're right doing this in the landfill the first time ever so he's like we're, we were very careful and they went through so much trash Ugh. cut to me skeeving out again to keep <laughs> showing video of just stock footage of landfill and people digging through the landfill and more garbage birds in the landfill <laughs> and they're like well, we don't know. The evidence could be contaminated with trash. So what's evidence and what's trash? And I'm like, it it's could be all trash. <laughs> um, so he said that, you know, we were very, very careful. And they said that there was no additional evidence. Because there it was, was trash. <laughs> right. Um, our detective Lawson says there's no other evidence. But because they identify him as Jack Wheeler and they know he has a house in Newcastle, they call the Newcastle PD and huge coincidence that Newcastle PD is already on their way to his house. What a quinky dink. What? What? Why? Also, they're showing some shots of Newcastle and let's talk about cute. Uh, super cute. Super cute. Suck it. Suck it. Suck it. So they're already en route to his house because they are investigating a possible burglary. Um, we meet his next door neighbor, uh, and you know, remember they have two houses: the house in Harlem and the house in Newcastle. So they're not always in Newcastle. So his neighbor sort of watches over the house, um, and he says, you know, Jack was always doing something, so he was kind of like a little bit of a caretaker. Um, and Dill notices that the second floor rear window is open. Goes into the house to investigate. I love this nosy neighbor. I love him. Yeah, I love him. I love him. this seems like super uh, East Coast nosy neighbor. But also, he says he didn't even. It's not even like he had to use a key. He said he walked up and the storm door mm -hmm. was was closed but not locked. And then the inside actual door was just open. Open. So he just walked right in. 
And the kitchen was in turmoil, he says. And we see all of these evidence photos because the Newhouse PD was on their way. So we see the actual turmoil. And apparently there were spices. He's, I love the way that he calls out there were spices everywhere. Um, there was comet everywhere. and you could There see was the a birds. tree. There was a, a, a tree. tree. We're air quoting tree from the bay window on the ground. This was not a tree. It was a plant. Yeah, it was, it was like a, a fern. Like a very, well, and and very says, dead looking too. Yeah, right. and his um, there were dishes that were broken in the sink, and his also West like a Point, book. Yeah, and his West Point ceremonial sword, sword, was, sword and shield was were, out there. Were out. Okay, and so he's like, he keeps saying this is just turmoil, spices and comet, broken dishes, but they show the pic, and then there's like a footprint in the comet, which also kind of skeeved me out because I was like, ooh, get that off your foot. So he's like turmoil several times, obviously a break-in because there's so much turmoil. And I, this was the second point where I said, everybody hold up. This does not look like a break-in to me. Because, and maybe it's just because having small children, (laughs) I know what a temper tantrum looks like. And I saw this, I saw this and I was like, that doesn't look like a break-in unless someone just comes in and they're really mad because they can't find your basil. (laughs) Start smashing shit up. This, this looks like, the man was standing in the kitchen, had a temper tantrum, and like just things that were close by got thrown, right? The mm-hmm. quote unquote tree, the comet that was in the sink, dishes in the sink, and then mm, in the sink, and you know, your spices are always within reach of the, that area in the kitchen. Turmoil in a very concentrated area, and nothing else was askew. Yeah, they don't bring up anything else being missing. They don't, you know, they just bring, it's very, you're right, very concentrated area. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the police was already around because they were investigating an incident across the street. There's a house being built, so it's a construction site, and someone had set off a couple of smoke bombs in this house under construction. And when the police investigate the scene, they find Jack's cell phone, which looks like a Blackberry, yes? The thought is that Jack set off the smoke bombs and left his phone there, or are they positing that the burglar both set off the smoke bombs and then went into Jack's house, stole a bunch of shit, and, like, dropped it on his way? I was like... I don't think there's a mystery there. No, I, but... I was, and I have to say, I was, I was watching this with Super Husband, and the entire time he was like, "There's no mystery. That's not a mystery. Why is this on Unsolved Mysteries?" <laughs> <laughs> Super Husband was not powered by vodka. Super Husband no. is powered powered by logic and no. Sometimes, nonsense. sometimes, as we saw in the video that we watched last night, <laughs> it was not always powered by logic. If anyone Listeners... hasn't seen Save Yourselves, see it. It's fun. It's fun. Super husband cannot handle any amount of anxiety or suspense, suspense in a movie. And he will proceed to cover his whole face with the pillow. Because <laughs> he can't watch it. He cannot watch it. So so I, my favorite quote from last night. So listeners, this is, we do like a, a Zoom movie mm. night. Uh, and is, watch it with your eyes! <laughs> He was missing the best part. He was missing the best part. The best part behind a pillow. There was no gore. There was nothing to be, like, actually shocked or suspensed by. (laughs) Watch it with your So anyways, that he can't watch, but he watches Unsolved Mystery and shits all over it and says, there's no mystery. (laughs) We love you, super husband. We do. Um, so, we at this point, we meet FBI agent Scott Duffy. Um, I liked Scott Duffy. I very no-nonsense. Loved him. Um, and he does describe it. Like, at this point, he's called in and he said, 
because of Jack's connections, at least 10 different state, local, and federal agencies were involved in this investigation of his, right. of his disappearance. And, and he's like, P.S., I was only called in because he had worked for several different government administrations. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he is not... He's not making this seem like, wow, it's such a huge mystery, and that's why the FBI, Delaware can't handle this, which is why the FBI got called in. No, he's just like, he has connections in the government. I got called in, and OPS, Mm -hmm. there's 10 different agencies working on this thing just because of who he was. Just because of his background and bio. Yeah. DEA. Well, maybe ATF because of the smoke bombs. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Um... Where did this old man buy these smoke bombs? So at this point, uh, the episode starts to put together our timeline. So all of this was basically scene setting. And then we start to put together our timeline. His family last sees him uh, for Christmas. Um, and Meriwether says, still the greatest name. Still sorry. so great. Um, Meriwether says that uh, Jack was in good spirits. Um, you know, they're all in the house um, in New York. And Jack returns, says he has to go back to D.C. And Kathy is pissed, but... Well, she she wanted to go to the movies. They usually go to the movies after Christmas, and he bailed on her, and she's pissed about it. I love that, and also <laughs> same. It comes up again in some some of the Google machining I did afterwards oh. about the movies. There's also more to it than the movies, but that quote comes up a couple of times, which made me giggle. So so he goes back to DC, and this is where I get a little confused about. The timeline because the next date we see is December 28th when they're like oh and then he goes back to Delaware but I'm not clear I I think it might just be he was there so he leaves on the 28th or the 27th to go to DC I feel like he was there for Christmas not necessarily Christmas Day that was how I oh okay yeah that makes sense because they don't bring that up as like some missing time the way they bring up like the 40 okay but if that's the case then let's talk about this time frame if anyone is on the east coast and you have taken a train up and down the east coast either DC to New York or Philly or I don't know Wilmington Delaware okay so he gets on the train in New York to go down to DC after Christmas he says he's got to go to work right so he goes in quote-unquote for only a day, but if he leaves New York in the morning and he gets to D.C., it's going to be several hours on the train. Then you get to D.C., then you got to get to whatever building you're going to. And then it says on December 28th um, at 1.20 p.m., he goes back to Newcastle. What kind of a work day is that? And this is, this is the point, because they do bring up the bipolar disorder. So if he's in an episode of some kind, you have to wonder where it starts, right? So he yes. leaves New York comes to dc for a day um quote unquote a day a day a a Um, government work day quote unquote (laughs) burn burn. um he's back in newcastle um later that day the smoke bombs are that night the smoke bomb incident is the night of the 28th um on the 29th the morning of the 29th Kathy calls and can't reach him, which she thinks, she's like, I can never not reach him. He lives and dies by his phone, which I was like, one of us, great. Yeah. Jack emails Miter about a break-in and a theft of his cell phone, briefcase, key fob, and work badge, which is where that work badge thing, so, so he's reporting that missing, but he does not call Kathy nor the police right. about this break-in, I say with quotes. Yes, well, and also, I thought... I thought the email without the phone call to Kathy or the police is interesting because, again, if you've ever worked for one of these places, 
you can get in a lot of trouble if you lose your badge, you lose your phone, you lose your computer, if stuff's not encrypted, you have to let the company know as soon as possible so that their information security team can go in and disable your shit so randos like us walking along the street can't pick it up and find out all the government secrets we're not supposed to know. And also deactivate his badge so some rando doesn't go and get into the miter headquarters and see all the secrets on display for everybody. Right, like if this is a heist movie and that was going to be their way in or whatever, like they, you know, that's what it is. You notify them so they can press the insta-wipe button. That's right. And they cut off access, etc. So he says stolen. Personal opinion here is that that was a CYA move because he didn't want to get in trouble because he lost his phone setting off smoke bombs at the new construction site across the street. We only know that they find his phone there. We, this is the first time we hear, we hear about him saying his briefcase was stolen and his badge was stolen. And the fob and stuff. And, like, right. the briefcase becomes a major thing. And so, and they haven't found the, like, spoiler alert, they never find the briefcase. Right. Um, so that's kind, that's kind of where, sorry, super husband, but a bit of a mystery comes in. Because if he's, if, if, you know, the phone is left there because he was sneak it out with smoke bombs or whatever. It's not like he took the briefcase with him then. Maybe he um, did. Maybe that's when he <laughs> smuggled the smoke bombs. <laughs> but then they would have, you know, they didn't find the briefcase there. So the briefcase becomes like a real hinge point. So right now we're at the night of the 29th at 6 p.m. Because at this point he has lost his cell phone, we now are reliant on video and witnesses before they were using kind of cell phone records and stuff like that witnesses were saying that you know the people who saw him on the train were saying he was on his phone the whole time that kind of thing so uh 6 p.m on the 29th he goes into a local pharmacy he looks like he's limping at this point but they don't bring that up so i don't know if like he just had a limp because they that's weird they didn't bring that up nobody talked about it but that was the first thing i noticed too kind of a shuffle limp yeah it looked to um, me like the way he's walking, it looked like someone who was in pain. But yeah. again, they don't they don't mention it, which I also thought was strange. Um, so he's in this pharmacy and he's like a known person. Like that it's like his local pharmacy, it's where he gets his medications filled. But he's looking for a ride to Wilmington. And in the video, he's wearing like a dress shirt and dress pants and has like nothing else. Still dressed like work. Right, so right, so gone to DC, gone back to Wilmington. I mean, in DC for maybe an hour, am I right? Got to punch that clock. (laughs) Uh, Goes, you know, back to Newcastle, sets off smoke bombs. Possibly doesn't change, Um, and then now is in this pharmacy asking for a ride to Wilmington. And what they say is, is that's because his car is there. And so I'm like, at this point, he somehow got to his house in Newcastle from the train, which they were saying was about 14 miles away. So, I mean, it's totally possible to take a cab, but again, that just seemed odd to me because then you're in Newcastle without a car and you do things like, I don't know, go into your local CVS and try to bum a ride from your pharmacist, which seems to me like you are not thinking clearly at that point. And at this point, he gets a ride, which is, like, baffling to me. He does. They're like, oh, yeah, several people offered him a ride. And they have security footage of him leaving with some dudes. And then they keep saying later, it comes up over and over again, like, oh, the time between when he left um, the pharmacy and the next place he goes, which is back to, like, the the area around the Amtrak station, 
is a complete mystery. And I'm like, but we have footage of these people. Can we not identify who these people are? Right, did no one you find these You can see their people? faces. <laughs> Newcastle itself is not a huge place. It's also not a place I think that you're going randomly. Right? And it's like, and if this is the local thing, like, wouldn't the pharmacist, like, probably recognize those people? You know, if, spoiler alert, if the Newark PD can somehow, via the trash that was around him in the landfill, forensic the shit out of that and find the dumpster he was in, can't you, with a full-on picture of someone's oh, face i know what happened katie they couldn't do that because the the software facial recognition technology was broken <laughs> because you broke it with they your bangs, bangs. And so they could never they could never use it again dc is a very walk-friendly city but i kept my car like i had a car and it kept my car the entire time i feel like i i just have an attachment to it so the fact that he was just like i'm just leaving my car here i'm gonna go back i it gives me hives to think like oh my car is gonna be stranded somewhere i'm gonna need to bum a ride from a rando so the next time we see him it's 6:42. so he got a ride from somebody um gets to wilmington he's looking for his car in the wrong garage which at first i thought was super weird but then they cut to everyone going he had no sense of direction which same i get it i oh my goodness the ages before gps on a phone were dark ages for me my friends i would always leave everywhere for everywhere an hour early like an hour like if something it took 20 minutes to get somewhere i would leave an hour and 20 minutes early because i would get lost always I mean, same, same. And I would, I would print out those MapQuest directions and have them with me. But let's talk about this. This goes, this is the second time I'm bringing up this male mythology, okay? So Meriwether's like, oh my God, he had the worst sense of direction. He was always getting lost. He would walk and get his exercise around Madison Square Park because it was a square. And if he followed it, he wouldn't get lost, which I was like, good idea. But also concerning, if you were getting lost there, I would think that there's some other issues going on. They literally said he constantly misplaced his car. And so he would go to work in his car and come home in a cab because he couldn't find his car. Another one of his friends who's idolizing him says, It said, it was like he spent so much brain power <laughs> on all these amazing complex problems. He just couldn't devote anything to like regular person stuff like where I left my car. Now, I do think there are probably some people like that. However, let's let's not forget that this man went to West Point, and I'm pretty sure as part of your U.S. Military Academy training, at some point, they basically give you a compass and a pocket knife and drop you out in the middle of the wilderness, and you got to find your way back. This he man served in Vietnam, in Vietnam okay? <laughs> like, like, come on. I don't believe it that he was functioning on all cylinders at this point. Right? I just like, don't. I can't. It's not because he couldn't stop thinking about cybersecurity. Like, it's just, it, I just don't believe it. They're talking about him like he's like the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, where it's just like, well, he's just so smart and he's in his mind palace. So That's he right. just doesn't notice, you know, human things. Like, if you can navigate issues like, I don't know, dealing with the city council in various jurisdictions and government agencies and... I just, I just cannot believe, I cannot suspend my disbelief to be like, oh, it totally makes sense that this uh, very rational, fully together person just can never remember where he parked the goddamn car. So he mm. would, all the time, New York, Delaware, D.C., whatever, drive to the Amtrak station, take the train, come back, just take a cab wherever it was he needed to go, 
What? And then later he just remembers where the car is? Or just happens upon it. <laughs> you write, oh yeah, I forgot I left that there 20 years ago. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not, mm, right. Mm-mm. And it's, and it's, it's also, if, again, I don't know that much about bipolar disorder, but if this is something that's going on as a result of that, like holes in memory right. or something like that, this is a sign, if this is a constant thing for him, that his medication is not correct. Like, med- you know, mental illness medication, as someone who takes anti-anxiety beds, it's a it's a bit of an art and you need to get your levels right and you need to like figure right. things out and if it starts to not work you need to talk to your doctor and be like look I'm having like xyz issues and then you kind of work on it more well and as your body changes too right you can need to right. change your medication you can lose weight you can gain weight you get older if this is a constant problem for him like and again I also I I can remember road names but I never know where I am in the world and I constantly have Google Maps open and I'm so reliant on it that it's sad and in the zombie apocalypse I am no help um at least in the direction department but this I feel like this is a sign that like there's an issue it's not oh he 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 Mr. Magoo he doesn't know where he's going like it's this is a he lost the car again again well and uh, yeah like, if this were my relative, I think that we would have had the conversation about, like, we got to tell Uncle Jack that he can't have his keys anymore. You know? <laughs> uh, the next thing we see, the next video footage we have, he's in a parking, the wrong parking garage, and he is agitated. He is car- He has no shoes. He's holding one of them. Well, he's wearing um, one. He's holding one, which doesn't oh. help the limp situation, right? Like, it's, right. it's further exacerbated by he's only wearing one shoe. Oh, I just had a thought. Maybe he's limping because he stepped in all that comet. <laughs> Maybe. Do you think he burned the bottom of his foot? Maybe. Chemical burn? Mm. So he's like, and they're saying like he's peeking around corners and, you know, and, and things like, and looks, looks very paranoid, looks very hunted, like he's hiding. And they talk to the um, garage attendant who's like, he just kept saying, my briefcase was stolen, my briefcase. And she's like, what briefcase? And where did you lose it? And yeah. she's asking what questions. What happened? And he, and he doesn't, he just keeps saying, my briefcase, my briefcase, my briefcase. He doesn't actually answer her questions. So clearly at this point. He looks know, distressed. Yeah, he is, he's in distress. He, if, if it's an episode, if, if he's being chased, regardless of the cause of it, at this point, he is not okay. He's not. There's a couple theories here. Um. Our friend Steve says that the 40 minutes between the pharmacy and the garage is the fundamental mystery of this. Not um, if you found the dudes who gave him a ride. <laughs> I'm saying. If they talk to those dudes, do the dudes go, yeah, he got super pissed. or Like, he, like, freaked out about something. Or we beat him up. Or, um, you know, he tucked and rolled out of the car. We didn't know what was going on. Right. Like, talk to those something. dudes. Anyway. Um, so the, uh, Steve mentions that one could be a ment- he could have had a significant mental break because of his bipolar disorder um, or a physical alter- altercation. Um, and in this at this point, I do say, like in all caps, who gave him a ride? Explain right. to me who gave him a ride. And how can um, they not know? How can they? Right. I, I, that that's the biggest mystery for me out of this whole thing is how, how have they not found these dudes? Maybe they did find them and they're just like not mentioning them um but i feel like just such a crucial detail you know where it's just yes you know feed it to one of the people you're interviewing for them to like give us that information put a little chiron on the screen do something um so the next time he shows up on camera it's 20 hours later um he's in the basement of a wilmington office building where they find evidence to suggest that he spent the night and the better part of the day there 
Um, Steve says, was he trying to hide, get out of town? Like, it looks like he's, like, gone, gone to ground. Um, that was another one. I was like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So Steve says this thing where I don't think there's, like, it just kind of gets glossed over where at, he says at one point he's trying to get to Philadelphia. And I'm like, one, how do you know that? Two, explain. Um, and he suggests that, you know, in Philly you can catch the train. Uh-huh. You, can, you know, whatever. But I'm like, what suggests that? Like, was he trying to, you know, and at this point, again, he has nothing on him. Apparently when they find the body, he does have cash. Right. But I also screamed at the at the screamed at the screen at this point because he's trying to get to philly why we don't know maybe to catch the amtrak to get back to new york to kathy and i thought but he can do that where he is (laughs) he is literally at an amtrak train station in wilmington so why would he need to get to philly who knows um so he leaves the basement and now he's wearing a hoodie at 8 30 and they say oh he has never worn a hoodie before i'm all like Right. And, and this, this man making... does not know comfort. <laughs> well, there's that. Well, he went to West Point. Of course, he doesn't know comfort. Number two, they were like, where where did he get this from? Was it stashed somewhere? I'm like, you show him walking past all these employee lockers. Maybe he was cold. Maybe he opened it and someone had a hoodie and he took it out. And then, you know, there's video of him walking past outside once he finally leaves the building and he's walking past a hotel um, at the valet stand. And he has, and they're like, look at him he's putting the hoodie up like he doesn't want anyone to see him and i thought it's nighttime maybe he's just cold it is no Uh, sorry it was late december yeah Yeah. he's probably cold the next thing is the body's found december 31st um at this point we meet mike grabowski who is the garbage truck driver love him i love Um, him except for one thing he says later which will haunt me until my dying day but Um, he he, immediately i was like mike wazowski anyway sorry (laughs) uh (laughs) so he is explaining his day that he you know gets up he's going about his route he's so like just like was doing my route and he's like and i got a call from dispatch as i'm leaving the landfill saying you gotta come back to the landfill there's a body in the pile and he keeps saying the pile and i'm like i love this so much at this point, this is when we find out, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, that the trash around him in the pile was from Newark. Um, and Newark, so they call Delaware, not Newark, Newark New Delaware. Jersey. I know what you're yeah. all thinking. There's also a Newark, Delaware. Um, and so they call the Newark PD and they forensic the shit out of it. They do some science and they figure out based off of Grabowski's route and the trash that was there, like the possible dumpsters and they swab all the dumpsters that was unreal to me that was unreal that they were able to do this fucking science man it but was also so cool. would they have done this for anyone except this old white dude who had been so closely connected to the government no, no. So, <laughs> that is not yes super husband that's not a mystery um <laughs> so uh they're like one how the hell did he get to newark and then someone says yeah he had no connection to Newark, Delaware. And I thought to myself, okay, the entire state of Delaware is about, I don't know, the size of a county in Texas. Like, you can't just say, like, he has no connection. It's, like, two blocks away. I don't know. All right. of a sudden, you're in, you're in another city. Like, come on. And then they're saying a witness came forward and said that he shared a cab with them. Yeah, so no mystery there. No mystery there. That's his connection um, to Newark. 
at this point, the autopsy concludes that the injuries, like the cause of death was blood force trauma. It was a homicide. Um, he has, you know, broken ribs and everything. And they're saying that this is not concurrent with, you know, he crawled into the dumpster for warmth to sleep, which uh, Grabowski does say people, they call them hollers um, because he sticks his uh, forks, I think they called them, or the arms of the, the dump truck and when they do that, it startles the person inside sleeping and they ho- holler and they pop out and go, wait, 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 wait. And he says, is this the thing that haunts you? Yes. Sometimes we hear them. Sometimes we don't. What does that um, mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, my God. So their, their thought is the injuries are not consistent with he was walking around Newark. He was cold. He wanted to go to sleep. He climbed into a dumpster. Um, he fell asleep. The dumpster dumps him in and that kills him. So, like, he said the injuries are not concurrent with that. Um, And at this point, they're saying, like, is this related to the Newcastle incident with the smoke bombs? Because he was in this big housing dispute because he didn't want that house to get built. And then somehow, some way, the person is so pissed about the smoke bombs that they murder a person. They don't ever talk to the person who's building that house. So, I don't know. They don't, but let's talk for a minute about the house. So, he... They, they say that one of the um, symptoms of bipolar is you can get overly emotional. And attached. And attached. I was going to say obsessed, but attached is a much better word. To something, to an idea, to an event. And it seems to me like he was getting overly attached and emotional about the fact that these people were building a house. So they're building a house across the street and it's obstructing his nice view. But also, somehow they were able to build this house on a park public like park a histor- like, and a historical park as well and so he's super pissed about it for all these reasons and they kept he kept saying things like it's a sacrilege this place is sacred let's talk about neighbors i've got i've i've got some good neighbors i got some real annoying neighbors i understand i understand i don't know if i would ever go so far as to say they are a sacrilege well if the town or the county or whoever allowed the permit they must be allowed to do it. I don't think they're building an illegal house in a super mm-hmm. nice neighborhood. And everyone's like, well, I guess that's just the way it is. Like, no, it's not like the um, illegal shed that my neighbors built, <laughs> which still is allowed to be where it is. Um, yeah, I, I just don't see it. You you didn't you didn't go and set off smoke bombs in it as a as a, as a signal. <laughs> they might be uh we, we can we can murder on the orient express this and um i'll be your <laughs> your alibi um no, yeah i was i, mean, I was filming a podcast i was recording a podcast there's no way the i could have i could have set off the smoke alarm they also posit the theory at this point which they also kind of immediately debunk that this was a random mugging that you know he's walking around newark it's late at night um People see him and try to mug him because he had a Rolex, he had cash, um, he had his ring. uh, And if someone's going to randomly mug you and, like, accidentally beat the shit out, like, the beating apparently was so severe that it seemed, that they kept saying it's like a sign or it's like a message. It's not, you know, if someone's going to randomly mug you, they can just knock you out and take your shit and they leave the body where it lies. That they're not going to completely beat the shit out of you stuff you into a dumpster um where it's hard to move the body into that you know that's just not done is what steve says um and they didn't take his stuff 
you know, so it's not like he had a ton of stuff on him. He had definitely didn't have his briefcase at this point because that's the you know big mystery. Like what's in this briefcase? He always has his briefcase. So they kind of say, you know, he could have been randomly mugged, but well, not I, really. Something that weren't that wasn't addressed, which um, I think we have to talk about is we are a garbage country full of garbage people, as evidenced we, we, by this <laughs> landfill and all the garbage birds. So. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that someone saw this old man, disheveled, one shoe, in distress, clearly not in his right state of mind, and just beat him up for the hell of it. Like there, were, do you remember? It was. It's been a little while since I feel like it's been on the news, but there was a while that people were just filming themselves beating up homeless people. Oh yeah, uh-huh. right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, people can be garbage, unfortunately. Yeah, swatting's a thing. So yeah, people mm-hmm. are garbage. Um, it also makes this is a lot less serious than murder, but it does make me think of there was that little robot that was like traveling across countries oh, and stuff, yes. and then like it you know it traveled like all over the place, but the second it comes to the U.S., it gets destroyed. Yeah. Kel surprise. Um, I think in Philadelphia. Sorry, Philly. You know I love you, but <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> speaking of loving Philadelphia, I. As evidenced by earlier exchanges, I love to dunk on Philadelphia. Um, and <laughs> only, I, only slightly less than you love to dunk on Baltimore. True. Um, after the election, I, I feel like I can't do that nope. anymore. I was really thinking, like, I we we all owe Pennsylvania so much. I don't feel like I could dunk on Philadelphia. And I was telling this to my brother, and he said, it's actually, you're right, as an American to dunk on Philadelphia. <laughs> Anything else? Anything else would be, I don't know, some slight treason. I was like, well, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Um, they can take it. Oh, we know. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I love Phil. I lived in Philadelphia for four years, so I, uh, I, ha- I have a very special place for Philadelphia in my heart. But it does have some special. I didn't special until last Saturday. <laughs> I mean, anywhere uh, with gritty is a decent <laughs> I'll give you gritty <laughs> gritty is the embodiment of chaos so mm-hmm. is the city of philadelphia i love you <laughs> anyway so once again we get a lot of wrap-ups saying that this wasn't random people are saying it wasn't random and they're like and also a huge mystery because they never found his briefcase so here's my hot hot take i feel like it absolutely could have just been random people wanting to mug an old defenseless man not in his right mind because they could I feel like they could have, somebody could have stolen his briefcase in that mine too. And then once you see on the news that this old dude wandering around with one shoe was somebody pretty important, of course you're not going to surface that shit again. And you're not going to like come forward and give a tip and claim any reward money. It is weird because the the briefcase disappears. He has it with him when he goes to DC for his work day, Mm -hmm. quotes, and then it's gone when he sends the email to Miter. Well, he says it's gone when he sends the email to Miter. Uh, we don't know. Because that's when the cell phone is gone. So, And then he doesn't have it for the rest of the time. And they don't find it in the house. They don't find it in the trash. Seems to have disappeared prior to all of his distress, right? right? But he, he could he, have also just left it on the train. Left it in the car of the randos that drove him right? to Bloomington. Left him on a be- left it on a bench when he was waiting for a cab because he right. doesn't drive his car because he forgets where it is. Right. So 
you know, it was the tantrum where he broke everything. And they do suggest that that is a possibility of what it is, that it's right. it, there could be a, a robbery or it could have been him. Um, you know, is it because he dropped his cell phone after his smoke bomb shenanigans or is it he lost both at that point and he's throwing a tantrum for both? Like mm-hmm. there's the, the briefcase is a bit of a mystery. I, I don't know where I stand on this one, actually, since we're kind of at the end. I don't know where I stand on this one. I, I think I'm on the th- side of it was, I don't think it was random. I did not do the extra Google machine research that, uh, you know, our yeah. podcast's own Jane Miller has done. Um, hey. um, but at the end of the episode, I was there with, not only are we f- a garbage place full of garbage people sometimes, um, old white men can be super garbage people. So, you know, if someone with a grudge wanted to, you know, take him out for whatever reason, you know, maybe that's what you, that's what he decided to, some other old white dude decided to spend his money on. You know maybe. what I mean? Like, I mean, so my opinion, if it was targeted, I think it's really weird that they would target him at this point in his life rather than a point in his life where he was more closely tied to things that the mm-hmm. government was doing. I feel like he was going through some mental health issues. When I see those videos, to me, it really seems like he is in distress. I'll go through some of the articles I found on my my Google machining, but I did see some videos um, with Kathy and his son, and I think it was also Meriwether, perhaps, where they were all saying, he doesn't look like he's having an episode, he looks afraid. And I was like, well, I don't know what the difference is. Honestly. Well, and maybe, and like, who's to say that in this episode, he is not afraid? That's what I'm saying. Of, like, like it, they could delusion. be the same thing. I don't know. Yeah. Because, but also, obviously, clearly not having known him and, and known his mm-hmm. mannerisms. And some of the things that he did that they didn't talk about was that for a while, he was a chairman and CEO of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Huh. Uh-huh. And um, he was also the, uh, from 1993 until he died, he was the founding CEO of the Vietnam Children's Fund, so another nonprofit organization, and a huge advocate for um, veterans' mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And I saw some clips of him on the news talking about how uh, we have to shift our understanding of what a wound and an injury is when a soldier comes back from war, which I thought very progressive, very ahead of his time. Of course, now we know that also like hit very close to home. Um, so one of the most interesting articles I saw about these events, though, uh, was from, there's a Slate News article, and then an article from heavy.com. Hmm. We'll link Mm. to both of those in the show notes. But, um, so here's where the time frame gets a little wonky for me. So again, the wife, Kathy, is saying, the week between Christmas and New Year's was always her favorite, because again, you can just lie around and go to the movies. I agree, Kathy. I'm with you on this. One of the articles I read said that before he left, they had had an argument because they were supposed to be going to one of her cousin's weddings in Boston on New Year's Eve. And he was like, and he had said, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make that. One of the other articles I read just were kind of like, oh, he had to go and she's a little upset because they're supposed to go to this wedding. But it seemed like she still thought that they were going to meet up to go to it. But so on December 31st, She's up in Boston by her. She just goes by herself to this wedding and takes Amtrak up, takes the train back down. Right. She hadn't been able to reach him and that the police had called Jack's daughter. 
the daughter called Kathy and said, Kathy, I need to come over and tell you something. So his daughter actually goes over in person to Kathy's apartment, which was all a little bit different, I felt like, than how they had portrayed it. So I'm still a little off on some of the timing and the dates and who was doing what. And I found it really weird if she couldn't get in touch with him that she still decided to just go on up to this wedding. Mm -hmm. If this was something that they're supposed to be doing together, like, wouldn't you be worried? Yeah, calling other people. Like, have you seen him? Do you know where he is? Like, that just seems very strange and out of character, especially on the show where she's saying, yeah, it was odd that I couldn't get in touch with him. So she didn't actually find out that he had died until January 2nd because of all of these events. Um, And then in the Washington Post article, just more information about his backstory. So his class at West Point, he graduated from West Point in 1966, and his class um, had 30 people that died in Vietnam and he hadn't he didn't go to Vietnam right after he graduated he did a few things in the U.S. first and apparently felt a huge amount of guilt even though he did go to Vietnam he felt a huge amount of survivor's guilt that all of these classmates had died and he hadn't which is one of the reasons that he was very involved and pivotal in the Vietnam Veterans Memorial he, there was apparently some a lot of controversy around the design, which I knew there had been a big contest for the design, and Maya Lynn won this contest. Get this, Ross Perot, if you remember him, and mm. Jim Weber, uh, Virginia senator, were apparently very against that design, and he yeah. had to like convince them to go with it because they were also involved in the memorial, and that, that's basically why there's the Vietnam Memorial, and then there's like a separate um, statue with a couple of soldiers like off to the side was like their way to to like win them over to the project but i laughed when i heard about ross perot because my mother actually voted for him for president <laughs> if she wasn't mad about you last week she's gonna be mad this week <laughs> I oh i love you but ross perot but hey president-elect joe biden and <gasps> madam vice president madam kamala harris and second dude Doug Hive. Uh, we are Doug Hive. Uh, Hashtag I, don't, Doug Hive. We don't want to hear a word against Doug. Um, Never. So yeah, that was that was uh, the, the big kickoff to our season two of uh, the Netflix reboot. Uh, I did, unlike this first season, I did look ahead at just sort of like the names of the episodes mm-hmm. and listeners. We get in a ghost episode. Ghost, ghost. We will watch with our eyes. And... I will watch it all with my eyes. <laughs> and you know what? If Super Husband doesn't want to watch, he just shouldn't be in the room. I didn't none of this half watching bullshit where you're sitting on the couch and covering your face. <laughs> There's another. Go to the other room. Go to the other room. No one's making you watch. We have a house. We <laughs> have a house. And last night, he's the one who suggested the show. We don't want to insult like our one uh, guaranteed listener. He's uh... okay. Also, I found out he's not a guaranteed listener. <gasps> I know. I feel like we can Divorce. just divorce. <laughs> so what we're doing is burying Easter eggs, and yes. if he doesn't come back and say anything to you, we know he's not a super husband listener. If you hear this, come say papaya. <laughs> That's the code word. That's the code word. Um, Yes. So, listeners, you can follow our very excellent <laughs> at Wine Times Pod account on uh, Instagram and Twitter, or our individual accounts. I am at Katie Haas. MM is at True Crime Wine sixty nine. Thank you, at Official uh, Prince Hansen. I'll always love you for that. 
Um, you can email us at winetimespod at gmail.com. Please do email us for anything. Hopefully something nice because we don't want more garbage people. Um, but uh, also if you want to write in with any sort of family mysteries or fun mysteries that you know. Um, oh, you know, I just thought sweet. we haven't shared my latest mystery. Ooh. Which has gotten Ooh. solved now. But uh, well. the mystery is um, Facebook and why. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> listeners, I have boycotted Facebook forever because I'm so old that when it first came out, you had to have a college account, and I was no longer in college. I was in graduate school, and then by the time they expanded out and were, like, letting people join with not .edu accounts, um, I don't know. My mom was on. I didn't want to do that. So, um, I decided, after we've been talking so much about Buy Nothing, I was like, I've got to get in on this. I created my Facebook account. Facebook, what the fuck with the rules about your name has too many capital letters in it? And so we don't recognize you as a person. That can't be your name, so you can't use that name. Who did, some, some of us go by their initials. Are you telling me there's no JD, JP out there? But no, MM was too much for them. So I had to, I had to start this account under double M. And then, because because of Facebook's wonky rules about what they believe to be a name, then the buy nothing people in my local area didn't believe that I was real. They thought I was a bot, and so I kept applying, and they kept not letting me in until your husband had to vouch for you. Smash the goddamn patriarchy! Oh, smash the patriarchy! Oh my god! Two women who were like, (laughs) "We don't think she—that's her real name." Well, guess what? I had to make up a weird phonetic spelling of my actual name because Facebook didn't think it was real. Who sets these rules? You know what, Zox? Who knows, man? Mm-mm. 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 And then... Thanks, Zuckerberg. Oh. And then, you know what I found out on my Buy Nothing group? It's full of huh. lovely people who are actually, like, giving away very nice things. It's nothing like your Buy Nothing group. It's nothing. I mean... My buy nothing group is full of nice people giving away nice things, but also street eggs. No street eggs. We just no street eggs. Some outliers the, in there. The best thing that I've seen on there so far is people are so diligent on this buy nothing group. Somebody listed a singular pack of Sour Patch Kids candy. I mean, there's been some haunted dolls on my. I've got recently. no haunted dolls. No haunted dolls. Uh, so yeah, listeners, we'll be back next week. <laughs> we will be. They won't be at this point, but we will. No, be. no. Uh, you know, and we're getting back in the swing of recording each week, so we'll we'll be a bit better about our tangents, possibly, unless you find this charming. The, in which case, the longer this pandemic goes on, the longer the panty, the longer the tangents. That's all I got to say. Longer the panty, longer the tanny. Mm. Um, <laughs> third tattoo idea. <laughs> Sorry. Please do uh, rate and review. It does help us out and kind of get us uh, get us out there for some more some more wonderful gems of listeners. And we'll be back next week to pop a bottle with you. Pop a bottle. Watch some Netflix. See you soon. Bye.